our podcast is brought to you by We Push Back. In the last few years, a certain genre on social media has been plagued with informants who misrepresent the truth to benefit themselves. They've gone unchecked for far too long. This smoke and mirrors routine is what has plagued the criminal justice system, resulting in many wrongful convictions. We Push Back is about bringing attention to these informants who have little regard for the truth and offering a voice to all those impacted by their lies. This website will work as a united hub, bringing all related information to one portal. We Push Back. This is Matthew J. Mary. And this is a view from Mulberry Street. And today happens to be uh, the opening Sunday of the San Gennaro Festival, known to the residents as the feast. The feast above all other feasts in New York City and maybe around the country. It's the most attended Italian festival maybe in the whole world. And it's very near and dear to me to walk down this block because this is where I was born. Now, of course, I was born in a hospital, Manhattan General Hospital. But my first residence was at 146 Mulberry Street, which we're going to see very soon. And I was literally, as a baby, carried through the feast, through these massive crowds, from the hospital to my first apartment on Mulberry Street. But before, this is the entrance of the festival. But before we start our journey down Mulberry Street, from Canal Street to Houston, I just want to take, take a look, I want you to take a look at the United States Courthouse, which is in the other direction. And that's the place where most of my career um, unfolded. Uh, this particular block of Mulberry Street goes two or three blocks more and you're at the foot of the federal courthouse. So my whole life kind of revolved around a certain area here in Lower Manhattan. Are you an attorney and did I see you on Wise Guys with John Tobacco? Yes and yes. I'm Matthew J. Mary and I've been on yes. John Tobacco's program Wise Guys which I love and uh, we're doing a new podcast called A View from Mulberry Street Excellent. about my life as a lawyer. And you are? My name is Aaron. It's my wife, Dawn. Thanks a lot for talking yeah, to us today. You. Okay. Take care. All the All best. Right. Stay so well. We're off, we're off to a great start already. I just hope that we don't get any of my former clients who've just gotten out of jail after 20 or 30 years who might not be as happy as those two. Let's get going. This is what you see a lot of sausage stands. Plenty of sausage here and this is one of the best ones that you can go to in the San Gennaro Festival. Right off the corner of Hester Street. This is like the best block in the feast. As you walk along, you know, they've got everything here. They've got cookies. Um, they've got Zeppelis. They've got French fries. Oh my God. And chicken and corn and all sorts of non-Italian things. As we pass here, I'd like to just take a look at the La Bella Ferrara uh, Bakery 
because that's been here uh, for as long as I could remember, and that means around 70 years. And uh, that's something that never changes. It's not only here for the feast, it's here 365 days a year. A new thing around here, if you look up, <laughs> they've, actually, they've actually been building hotels right in the middle of these tenements that are hundreds of years old. And um, it always amazes me that they're doing that in the middle of Mulberry Street and Grant Street, but the whole area has changed. Uh, most of the surrounding area today is Chinatown. And for some reason, there's a, uh, a, a need for a lot of hotel space around here. So as we walk down the block, memory lane for me, I think about all the people that I knew, not only in the San Gennaro Feast, but in my lifetime as a child. A lot of memories on this block, uh, a, lot of, a lot of different stores popping up. If we turn to our left, we see a place called, we see a place called Monero's. But if I'm not mistaken, this used to be Cha-Cha's restaurant. Cha-Cha was a very famous guy on Mulberry Street. Not only was he a neighborhood restaurateur and a fixture in the neighborhood, he's a great friend of Tony Danza, uh, Danny DeVito. Cha-Cha uh, was in the movies himself. He was in the movie Goodfellas and many, many others. He was kind of a, an icon in this neighborhood. He's gone now, but uh, the memory... The memories still last. As we walk down a little further, we see a lot of other restaurants. And mostly what this neighborhood has become is um, a haven for, for gift shops. All these little gift shops have popped up and they sell the, the smallest little trinkets. And it seems that they're making a lot of money. If you look at these handbags over here, and this is what I mean. If you look at 117, that used to be a restaurant uh, not too long ago, and I knew the owners of that restaurant, and now they're selling little gifts and making a lot of money doing that. Now, on this spot, used to be a very famous restaurant called Marconi's, M-A-R-C-O-N-I, Pasifias. And Marconi's, during World War II, was granted a special license to stay open 24 hours a day. And boy, did they. They stood open 24 hours a day, not only during World War II, but right through uh, the 50s and the 60s and up until the 70s when they shut down. Marconi's was an iconic place where many movie stars would stop and, uh, and all sorts of characters, as you could well imagine. Marconi's is a place that I kind of grew up in as a child, and uh, I'll never forget the owners of that restaurant, uh, Jeannie and Sonny Marconi, Sonny Seely to be exact, and uh, their brother, Luca. It was quite, quite an eventful place and the center of Little Italy. If we look across the street, we're going to see one of the best restaurants in Little Italy. This is called Il Cortile, and it's been here for about 20 years. But I remember 
I'd say back in the 1950s and 60s, that was a social club. And it was a gambling place, and people used to play cards there, and people used to drink after hours. It was what you call an after-hour club. And an individual by the name of Joe the Wop, who, and that's not a derogatory term. Joe the Wop didn't mind being called Joe the Wop. I don't know his real name, but he was the proprietor of a social club that was famous in Little Italy. And all the movie stars would come there after hours to have a drink or two. As we move down the block, it's more of the same. I remember as a young man in the late 70s and the 80s, uh, a small restaurant opened in the middle of the block, part of what was, is now Il Cotillo, and it was called Casabella. What an extraordinary place. And the owner of the place was called Mike Sabella, the nice fella. And I knew Mike very, very well. He's much older than me. And I always enjoyed going to his new restaurant right on this corner. And by the way, it's still here. Casabella is still here, still with the same name as the day it opened. And I remember when this restaurant was being constructed and all the problems that Mike had getting this place open. And here it is, decades later, still thriving in Little Italy. Unlike many of the places of yesteryear, Casabella is still here and still doing very, very well. Now, I call this particular corner the crossroads of Little Italy. This is the corner of Mulberry and Hester Street. And this is the middle of it all. It's the middle of the feast and it's the middle of Little Italy. What we residents used to call the Sixth Ward as opposed to the Fourth Ward. And that restaurant over there, Ristorante Italiano da Gennaro, that used to be a place called Larry's Bar, and it was the only bar in the whole neighborhood that people could have a drink at. And years later, that became uh, a change from Larry's Bar to Umberto's Restaurant, a clam house, much like Vincent's. We're going to take a walk over to Vincent's in a second. But when Umberto's opened up, it was kind of quiet. They weren't doing great business until one night, a guy named Joey Gallo, was celebrating his birthday right in there, in, in Umberto's restaurant. And something happened that night, but Joey wound up getting shot quite a few times and wound up on the pavement outside, right here in the middle of the street of Mulberry Street and Hester. And from that moment on, believe it or not, this whole neighborhood resurrected business-wise. It was moribund. Nothing was going on here. Everything was dead. And, and that coincided with the release of the movie The Godfather. So this has to be around 1973. The neighborhood was quiet. Nothing going on. No money being made. All of a sudden, Joey Gallo gets assassinated in Umberto's restaurant right here where we're standing. And the whole neighborhood changes entirely. And I'm not joking around about that. Now, I like to turn our cameras around 
to this uh, to this light pole because in yesteryear there was a there was a, a, the grand finale of the San Gennaro feast was the was called climbing the grease pole. I don't know if we'll be able to get any pictures of that, but people would compete with each other to climb to the top of the grease pole, which was higher than the pole we're seeing right now. And it was full of grease. I don't know what it was made of, but it was a, 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 a really unique event out of the San Gennaro Feast. And it had to be stopped because I think at one time someone fell and either died or was very seriously injured. Now, what I'd like to do is take a little side trip here on Hester Street to show you a little personal history. Uh, you know, everybody that I've ever known who had a stand in the San Gennaro Festival made money, except for one guy. And that one guy who lost money in the San Gennaro Festival, the, the feast, was Matthew J. Marion. I think I was about, about 28 years old, and we can make a turn to the left here. This is where my stand was. I had a steak sandwich stand right outside of Puglia's, a very famous restaurant. Puglia's is famous for Cabotzel. Cabotzel is sheep's head. Okay, uh, I don't think they're even allowed to make that anymore or to sell it in the United States. But Sheep's Head was a delicacy only served at Puglia's restaurant. And I happened to have a steak sandwich uh, stand. There was no steak in the, in the feast. We're selling it at $2 a sandwich. And I had the, my cousins working for me and two other young men. They know who they are, Johnny and Pat. Frankie and Rocky, and they were working for me, and there was just never any money in the till. At the end of the day, I couldn't figure out until years later, uh, they told me what happened to the money. But I can't tell you. Anyhow, let's walk up Hester Street. This is a great street. And we're going to take a look, at, the, at least at the outside, of Vincent's Clam Bar. Vincent's Clam Bar was once a very unique place. There are a lot of places like it now, but what they serve at Vincent's is famous hot sauce. They have a famous hot sauce and they serve shrimps and clams and mussels and every kind of seafood that you could possibly imagine. Let's take a walk and see what we see. Yeah. Vincent's is one of the first restaurants in Little Italy to, uh, to have permission to have side, a sidewalk cafe. And I remember it took a, a lot of uh, legal haggling to get that done, and they did. And it's one of the trademarks of this restaurant. Pe people come... How you doing, Mike? How are you? I'm just uh, doing a little program. As you know, we're doing a podcast called A View from Mulberry Street. It's All about right. me and my wife as Very a criminal nice. defense lawyer. Okay. But we're going to lighten up a little bit. Instead of talking about the FBI and, and federal prosecutors and all that stuff and the bad things they do, we're going to talk about having fun 
in oh, Little yeah, Italy. Absolutely. I mean, and there's nothing. There's nothing like Vincent's. Yeah. Yeah. Vincent's, oh, Vincent's is a neighborhood institution yep. that's been here for so so long, and it's been through several different Vincent's. Yeah. Believe it or not, yeah. Yeah. and uh, it's a hallmark yep. of, of the restaurant business and, and a symbol of Little Italy. Yep. And uh, I just want to wish you the best Hello. of luck. Thank you. And nice I hope you're you, doing well in the feast, you. Mike. It's, Thank you very much. You know, this is everything. what? Third generation yeah, here. Absolutely. absolutely. All right. Good to see you. Good to All see you. Right. <clears throat> okay, so here we go. Back the other way. Back down Hester Street. Back down Memory Lane. Ah, yeah, this was always considered to be the center of the San Gennaro Feast. And um, I told you a little while ago about the grease pole down there. That was uh, always, always the culmination of everything. But as we walk to our right and continue down Mulberry Street again, we're going to pass the spot which used to be literally the smallest restaurant in the world. But before we get there, once upon a time, the saint, the San Gennaro saint, which I think is down in the church now, used to be planted right here. And that's where everyone would come. Now it's uh, Cafe Napoli. But be before it was Cafe Napoli, during the feast, they'd have the, a, a statue of San Gennaro here, and people would come from all over the world and, and, and pin money onto a big blanket next to the statue. And right there was a very small restaurant. It didn't even have a name because it only opened during the feast. And it was the smallest restaurant in the world. One table operated by a, a guy named Gaidan Stravelli. And, uh, <laughs> I ate there many a times during the feast. It was great. So, again, here's where Joe Gallows stumbled onto the street and died back in, I think, 1973, right in the spot. He came out that back door after being shot several times. So here we go, back down Mulberry. Ah, we got to get into the sidewalk here, if it's possible. Start spreading the news. He's a, he's a guy. I'm leaving. He, he looks like a resident. I want to be a part of it. New York. New York. <laughs> hey, thank you. I'm going to show you a, a little club here that used to be called Cafe Biondo. And it was a great social club at one time. And the owner of the social club was a very distinguished gentleman that I'll never forget. His name is Vincent Correo. He had a nickname, Jimmy the Blonde. And he's a great gentleman, one of the most famous guys ever to walk on Mulberry Street. And succeeding him as the owner of this social club was his son, Joseph Correo, also known as Joe Butch. And Joe Butch was a very distinguished man also. Very tall, very handsome, and uh, another person who really contributed to the growth of Little Italy and to the restaurant business 
on Mulberry Street. Okay, we're coming very close to my birthplace. Or I really should say my first residence, 146 Mulberry. This is the old cigar store. You won't find many cigar stores like this. But this is this way all year round, and it's been that way for 70 years since I first came around this neighborhood. As I said to you, uh, back in the day, it, the residents were the people who had the, the stands the, in the feast. And right over here was my grandmother's stand. And what she used to put out from her house, she used to come right out of her house, and they would bring down trays of stuffed shells, of a homemade cavadillo, and all sorts of other delicacies, straight from the kitchen. And those were the days when you had the residents who were uh, actually working in the feast. Today, you have a lot of professional people who are, doing, who are manning the, the stands. So let's go down a little further, and here we come to the place where I first lived. Um, I call it my birthplace, 146 Mulberry Street, okay? And uh, this is also the same address for the famous restaurant, Angelo's Restaurant, one of the oldest restaurants in New York City. And uh, I spent my first six years uh, living right on top of Angelo's Restaurant, and I can tell you that it really smelled good. As the years went by, a lot of the old restaurants went down. A lot of the old restaurants went down. And I want you to get a good shot of this location across the street. <clears throat> this place called Gigi's, going up the steps, that used to be called Paolucci's. P-A-O. L-U-C-C-I, Palucci Restaurant. And uh, I would go there with my family at least twice a week, every Tuesday and every Friday. And boy, was the food great. Straight from Calabria. And one of, uh-oh, uh here, here he is. What's up, Counselor? Is, is this the Cannoli King? What's up, Counselor? Good, How good. How you doing? How's everything? Good, good, good. You know, we've been, we've been. I got a new tenant in the neighborhood. What is this Cafe this Gigi? Is my wife's Listen. restaurant. All right, I don't say anything bad about anybody because on a view from Mulberry Street, yeah. we only say good things. Even when we attack the FBI and we the government, good, we, we well, say it in a very nice way. Don't they call them football at the time? FBI. Yeah, we love them, don't we? But anyhow, Cafe Palermo is something that sprung up after I left the neighborhood in 1956, yeah. and I went to Knickerbocker Village, the Fourth Ward. Okay. Now it's, but old, now it's old Chinese. Now the main thing, the the center of Little Italy, is this place, Cafe Palermo, and this man, John Delutro, also known as the Cannoli King. John, could you give us a little look at what you're serving in this place? Sure, I said cannoli. All right, That's let's look. About. Good morning.